We are in Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Let me read the whole passage. I like to, to kind of have what I call a flyover, get the big picture, and then we'll come back and, and look at some details. So Mar, uh, Marge, I'm, I'm on Marge now. Not Marge chapter 5, it's Mark chapter 5. If you wrote a gospel, I'd read it though, so you're, you're a good writer. So. Yeah, Marge chapter 5, verse 21. It's funny now. We may have just started something new here at the church. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years, and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said to herself, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But the disciples said to him, You see the magnitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing, that, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. And while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the words that was spoken, the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. And when he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. They laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given her to eat. Let's pray together. Thank you so much, Lord, that we can learn about you from your word. It's uh, not corrupted at all. It's true. And we can learn about you and your ways and your heart toward us, God, your power toward us. We We can learn how to walk in faith. So teach us, Lord, how to trust you. It's the greatest, one of the greatest things we can do is to trust you and watch you do what you want to do in our lives and then through our lives. So thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The message is entitled Lessons on Faith, and here we see two people that have great needs, and the needs are different, and and the way that the needs are met are very, very different. But the common denominator here is that they have great needs, and they know that Jesus is the solution to their problems. In verses 21 to 24, we read about Jairus and his daughter, and uh, he's called the ruler of the synagogue in in verse 22, and that's like a modern-day pastor for the Jewish people. 
took care of the building. I'm sure he visited people, prayed for them, uh, kind of arranged the, the service. They would often have guest speakers, so he would be the contact person arranging the service and that kind of thing. So just think modern-day pastor. In verse 23, we are told that Jairus comes to Jesus and he's desperate for Jesus to help him. His, his daughter's at the point of dying. Now, none of this happens ever in, in a spiritual vacuum or an emotional vacuum, social, cultural, mental physical vacuum. It all happens in time and space and it happened at a time and happened in a place with real people that were feeling things. So as we have been studying the Gospel of Mark, we remember that there has been a lot of opposition against Jesus already. Now, now Jairus is, is a, a, you know, a synagogue leader, a Jewish man, synagogue leader. But there has been increasing opposition from the religious leaders in Jerusalem. They travel 80, 90 miles either on horseback or by foot because they've been hearing about things and people are saying the promised Messiah has come into the world. So these guys are coming from Jerusalem, uh, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the scribes, kind of the, the, the heads of the religious state and they're checking out Jesus and there's a lot of opposition against Jesus from the leaders of the nation. And so Jairus on a professional level, is taking a chance with his job. But he doesn't care because his daughter's going to die. You can get another job. You can't get another daughter like the one that he's about to lose. And so it speaks of the desperation of the man. It speaks of the faith that he has. And I put a note here, deep faith doesn't worry about people's opinions or job security. And we're, we're, we're having lessons on faith today. And so all of us in the room have needs and hopes and desires. And some of, the, some of the hopes and desires may be from the Lord. They might not be from the Lord. We have to figure that out. But if it's something that God has promised us, if it's something in his word, then, it, then, then God wants to do it. If it's something in your heart, the Lord may or may not want to do it. It might be his plan. It might be your plan. We have to discern those things. But if it's from the Lord, he wants to do it. But it requires us, to have, it requires us having faith. And sometimes us having faith, people disagree with our faith. Not only unbelievers, but often believers. I know people even currently that are taking some steps of faith and their friends are kind of saying, what are you doing? We don't understand why you're acting this way. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? And it doesn't seem right to them, but the people that don't understand aren't the ones called to take the steps of faith. And so how can they understand? When you're desperate for something and you believe that it's God's will to bring a good resolution of it, you don't care about what people think. You just go for Jesus. So this man might be taking a chance with his job. We don't know. I think he probably is. Adam Clark here, if you want to look at your notes here, he has some observations about faith. Four things displayed by Jairus that are necessary for answered prayer slash faith. We must put ourselves in the presence of Jesus. So first of all, you need to know him. You need to have him as your Savior. It's not just coming to a building or hanging around with some people that are Christians. It's you knowing him and asking him into your heart, asking him into your life, receiving him as, as your Savior, as your Lord, as your God, and committing your life to him and, and coming into his presence first and foremost that way. And then if you're a Christian, it's being mindful of his presence and coming to him in prayer. Jairus fell at his feet, so he must humbly come and sincerely come before the Lord. Not, not an off-the-cuff prayer, not a... Not a not a prayer where you kind of say some things, but you're not really sure if you want to trust the Lord or you're not really sure if you're going to trust him with the outcome or anything like that. Jairus comes and he's, he's very, very serious. He believes the Lord's going to do the right thing. He comes humbly. 
We must lay open our request with holy earnestness. He begged him earnestly. Sometimes we pray for something, and it might be the Lord's will, and we pray once and then say, well, you know, God didn't answer. I've even heard Christians and even some teachers say, you don't need to ask God twice. I don't see that. The Bible says pray continually. So sometimes we ask for years for the salvation of a loved one or a change in our own lives or something like that. So there's an earnestness and there's a continuousness about it. So the Lord may be ready to do something in your life, but you prayed once or you prayed twice or you prayed once every three months. Hey, you know, make it like the breath that you breathe. Constant prayer. And then finally, we must have total confidence in the power and the goodness of Jesus. I just want to caution us that we need to want what God wants because God's not going to answer prayers that are not his will. But we need to be seeking his will. And even if he says no, it's something that wasn't good for us. And we have to come to the Lord always saying, Lord, I believe this is your will, but if, but if it's not your will, you're always going to do what's right because you're for me and not against me. But he comes with an earnestness. He comes with total confidence. Verse 24, we are told that Jesus here is being pressed upon the crowd. The word throng here means to press on all sides. That Jesus was God in the flesh, but he wasn't in the flesh, and so he needed to move from point A to point B, and it's kind of hard. That's why I don't go to the mall at Christmas. I don't like throngs. I don't like bumping into people and all of that. I just, uh, you know, uh, thank God for Amazon, right? You know, it's like, well, <laughs> let them bring it to my front door. It's much, much preferable. Sorry, if you're a small business owner, sorry. You know, <laughs> I don't mean to put you out of business. If I'm in the mood, I'll shop at your store. You know, but Jesus here couldn't even move sometimes. And I, I believe that's why he often wanted to downplay his ministry because there were, there were people that followed him in faith and then there's what, what I call the, the carnal, curious crowd. They just wanted to see miracles. I, I doubt that they really cared about this girl being healed or not. They just wanted to see a miracle. But they were getting in the way, just in a physical way. They're getting in the way. And so Jesus, sometimes in, in, in Galilee there, kind of tried to keep it on the down low. He, did, he needed to, to be functional. Remember last week we studied the, the, the demoniac at the Gadarenes. Jesus said, go tell everybody. Because on that side of the lake, they weren't thronging to him. But on this side of the lake, they were. So sometimes Jesus, we see it here, there was, he was thronged, he was pressed in on every side. So Jesus is on the way here. Well, let me see where I'm at. Um, Verse 24, so Jesus went with him. Jesus was happy to go and lay his hands on this gal. There's one other thing about this man. He seemed to think that Jesus needed to be there. And so he had faith in Jesus, but it was limited faith. Jesus didn't put him down for his limited faith. He met him him at the level of faith that he had. That wasn't well said. He recognized the level of faith that this man had and met him where he was at. He was pleased. He didn't kind of stay, you know, no, there's a Roman centurion that says, I don't have to come to his house. He doesn't go there with the guy, if you know the other story. He just meets him where he's at, responds to the faith that he has. He's pleased to go with him. But they are interrupted by this woman in the crowd, in the throng, who has some type of hemorrhaging, probably some kind of vaginal hemorrhaging. There's a constant flow of blood that makes her ceremonially and socially unclean. If you read about that, you can read about that in Leviticus 15. There were those kinds of ceremonial laws and religious laws, both for men and women that had any kind of discharge or ongoing large, long-term discharge. 
G. Campbell Morgan tells us about this woman and we read about her in verse 25. A certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years, suffered many things from many physicians. She spent all that she had and was no better but grew worse. So it was a very tragic situation and we're going to look at that more in just a moment. G. Campbell Morgan, look at the quote there. By the very law of her people, she was divorced from her husband because anybody that she, she herself could not go to the temple to worship God because of this physical malady. If she touched her husband, he couldn't go. If, he, if she touched her kids, they couldn't go. If they sat on a chair that she had sat on, nobody could go. She was basically become isolated and apart from everybody that she loved and knew. She was divorced from her husband, could not live in her home. She was ostracized from all society, must not come into contact with her old friends. She was excommunicated from the services of the synagogue and thus shut out from the, temp- from the woman's courts in the temple. Luke tells us she spent all her livelihood on physicians. This is the summary of her condition in my mind. Physically, she's anemic, generally unhealthy because of constant blood loss, financially broke, excommunicated from marriage, home, family, friends, and religious life, emotionally alone, deep feelings of inadequacy, a great sense of hopelessness, she could not enjoy any of the benefits of motherhood, friendship, or, 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 or marital you know, blessings at all. Nothing. It was all gone from her. And it had been that way for 12 years. And she, she did everything she humanly could and nothing was helping. And so it's a very uh, sad situation. You know, she, it, you know, she was a true victim. I have a saying, and I believe it's true, everybody's a victim. We've all been hurt by somebody. You know, we've all probably all done dumb stuff ourselves and got ourselves in trouble, but then there's other people that have done stuff to us too. And sometimes people can't lose the mentality of being a victim. They just stay a victim. All they can see is the unfairness of it. If you're a victim, yeah, it's unfair, absolutely. There's anger, there's resentment. There's, you know, you might even say, God, why did you let that happen? You know, if... if God lets things happen because we have free will and so we can make a decision to follow him. If he took away everybody's free will, there would be neither wrong in the world, but there would be neither true right in the world either because we'd just be robotic. So God gives us a free will. So everybody's been victimized, and some of you really badly. But you can't stay that way. You just can't. You can't allow yourself to stay that way. And you have to look beyond the injustice. God sees the injustice. You have to look you know, try to shake off wanting to get revenge. I don't know why I said that. I never feel that myself. <laughs> you have to try to find a way to forgive and you have to get rid of the victim mentality. And some people just stay there. And I just want to encourage you, don't, you know, if you keep thinking like a victim, you're going to stay a victim. Whatever that person did against you a long time ago still has control of you. You know what? They've moved on with their life and forgotten all about you. And you're still stuck. And that, I'm, I'm not being emotionally insensitive. I'm, I'm telling you the truth in love. God wants to unstick you. He wants to free you. But, he, but you have to have faith. And you have to come to him knowing that he's a good God and he's going to do what's right. And you don't need to tell him your story ten times in a row because he already knows. And you don't need to tell everybody else your story all the time either. You just need to move on. In the Lord. And she tried to do everything she could to fix herself and she couldn't. 
and maybe you've tried to do everything that you can and you can't fix yourself, Jesus is there to heal your heart. You have to come to him on his terms, like Jairus did. I don't care what people think. I might lose my job. I'll put it all on the line because I'm in a desperate need. Jairus isn't here calling any shots at all. In fact, as Jesus is, is, is dealing with this woman, what's Jairus doing? Hey, I was here first, you know. We don't, see any, we don't see any resentment. We don't see any pushback from Jairus, nothing. He's still humbly waiting on Jesus. By the way, I thought, you know, I don't know how well this woman's situation was known, but it couldn't have been that big of a town. Jairus was the religious leader, and he probably knew this woman's condition. He's probably stepping back like that, lest she bump into him. So if somebody wants to be upset about something, if Jairus was interrupted by the best outstanding citizen that had the most money and did the most benevolent work in town, it would have been hard. But this woman, this woman, is stopping you from coming to, to, to heal my daughter? I, if I was Jairus, I, I would have just been, you know, get her out of here. But he's, but, you know, I mean, maybe he was making faces, maybe he was muttering under his breath, we're not told. But the silence of the Bible speaks volumes to me about he's still having faith in Christ while Jesus is dealing with somebody else. A lot of applications here. I trust you'll make them to your own lives as you need them. Jairus is waiting. This woman is in a a boatload of, of, of trouble. Verses 27 and 28, she comes to Jesus secretly. It's publicly, yet it's secretly. It's both. She comes up behind him. She's hiding she thought, if I can touch his clothes, guys, there's no biblical precedent for that. There's no magical power in Jesus' clothes. She either had a wild imagination or a superstition or read something or heard something somewhere. There's no biblical precedent for that at all. We are not told to, to, to emulate and, and replicate that kind of approach to God. You know, I, I'll, I'm sure my emotions will be healed if I just touch Pastor Bill's black shirt. Eh, yeah. No, I'm glad you laughed because that's ridiculous. Jesus is the one that we need to touch. But in her mind, this is the best that she could do. Maybe she thought, I'll defile him if I touch his flesh, I'll just touch his clothes. Who knows what was going on in her mind, but it wasn't a, wasn't a biblical approach to healing. And yet Jesus received her where she was at. He didn't stand and argue with her. There's a couple of other strange instances in the book of Acts that talks about this idea of imperfect and strange faith. David Gusick says this about the woman, there were many things we could find wrong with this woman's faith. Nevertheless, her faith was in Jesus and the object of faith is much more important than the quality of faith. You may be asked to cross a creek and there's a really, really well-designed bridge and it's, it's very, very sturdy and hundreds of people cross over the bridge every day, but for you, somehow you get nervous on bridges. So you don't have really strong faith, but the object of your faith, the bridge, is, is very, it's a very firm thing to have faith in. And so even with your weak faith, you still cross over the bridge and you make it because the bridge was strong. Others can say, I have strong faith over here that this bridge made out of styrofoam blocks will hold me. I have strong faith. I have a t-shirt that says so, and I started a podcast, faithinstyrofoambridges.com, and I'm going to cross the styrofoam. Okay, you have a lot of faith in something that's not going to work. You don't want to have a lot of faith in something that's not going to work. Even if you have a little faith, even if it's a little twisted and not not mature yet, not perfected, you have even just minimal faith, put all your faith, the object of your faith needs to be sure, and it's Jesus Christ. So this woman has strange faith. 
but the object of our faith. We don't want to have, as Pastor Rob said recently, we don't want to have faith in our faith. You don't have faith in your faith. You have faith in Jesus. Don't have faith in other things. A couple of strange uh, incidents here in the book of Acts, just look. It says this, uh, they brought the sick into the streets, Acts 5.15, they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. So apparently God used Peter's shadow at one time. Acts 19, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and diseases left them and evil spirits went out of them. Again, strange, but that was not the norm. Those were special moments of God's grace poured out for the benefit of people. And nowhere are we told to emulate those things. Instead, turn your your notes over, instead the Bible tells us if you're sick today and you need healing, we'd love to pray for you. It says, it tells New Testament Christians how to to approach the Lord, if you will, uh, for healing. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So that's, that's what we do here. We have, I think, some oil around here somewhere. If you're sick, we'd love to pray for you. Don't grab my shirt. Let us pray for you. We're told. And yet, the Lord still saw faith. Strange, unbiblical, superstitious, strong imagination faith, but it was in Christ. And that was the more important thing. If I may only touch his clothes... She knew that she was ceremonially unclean. Maybe she didn't want to defile Jesus. She's thinking that way. Maybe she thought she was unworthy. We don't know. But she took a great cultural and religious risk in what she did. Guys, Jesus is thronged. She's defiled. Anybody that she bumps into, I mean, she's playing pinball off of people her body her, her she's the pinball you know getting bounced around knocked around and all this if she's anemic probably weaker if there's strong men in the crowd generally speaking women a more slender frame so not only does she have you know the, the disadvantage of being maybe less weight and all that she's also probably anemic very healthy she's getting knocked around and everybody that knocks into her doesn't know they're getting defiled and if they find out they're going to call her out it's not going to be good I'm not saying they're going to beat her up. It's just not going to be good. So she takes a great risk here. As you're um, pursuing the Lord in faith, are you willing to take a great risk? I don't know what it is. I'm not going to even try to define it because then your thinking will be too narrow. Let the Lord speak to you on that. Are you willing to take a great risk? We need to be. Jesus was there. She touched his clothes. Verse 29, she knew she was healed. Verse 30, this is the only time that we are told that Jesus felt power go out of him. It never says that any, anywhere else in the Bible. Something unique happened and, and God had the nerve to not even explain it more than that. It just says it. Jesus turns around and says, who touched my clothes? Now I want you to think it through with me. This could seem like a very cruel thing to do to the woman. It's embarrassing. Now, if she says, I did, and the story starts coming out, it's embarrassing to her to have her illness and her defilement pointed out in front of other people. Why couldn't I just touch your clothes over here in the corner where nobody is? 
And then we can talk privately. I don't want everybody to know. And most of them do, or some of them probably do. I never go to synagogue anymore. There's rumors about why I'm not married to my husband anymore. We don't know those details. Those are all possibilities. Why is her life so different? Well, you know, she has this problem. Stay away from her, you know. And Jesus here is calling her out in front of people. And this could seem to be like, man, that's kind of harsh, Jesus. You're embarrassing the poor gal. Verse 30, 30, Jesus immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around to the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said, you see the multitude thronging you. And you say, who touched me? Like, are you kidding, Jesus? What a, if I may say so, Lord, what a foolish question. They're all touching you. They're all touching you. But one touched in faith. They were all coming into contact with Jesus. But one person had contact with faith involved. We're all sitting in church, speaking of Jesus, hearing of Jesus, but some are sitting passively and some are sitting in faith. And you're all hearing the same sermon and some will receive it indifferently and some will receive it in faith. And that's the difference, guys. I hope you come to church and go to Bible study and open your Bible daily and expect that the Lord's going to speak to you and that he wants to do something. This isn't some stagnant you know, relationship or religion that we have. It's a relationship with God. And he wants to keep changing our lives. But we have to have an understanding of what he wants to do and we have to believe him. And we have to respond. I so want to encourage you, especially just to revisit this idea and then we're going to move on. If you've been a victim, I'm really sorry. I have too. It becomes a badge. It becomes an identity. It becomes what we're used to. We need to, we need to change our thinking about those things. Jesus didn't come to just save you from hell and leave you you know, miserable. He also didn't say, I promise you happiness every day of your life. He's more concerned with your holiness than with your happiness. But he wants to heal those broken parts. I really do believe that. But you have to believe it too. I feel like I just need to repeat this again. Quit focusing on the injustice. You want to think about injustice? You haven't been nailed to a cross perfect son of God. Hebrews chapter 12, put your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith for the joy set before him, endured the cross. He hated the shame. He didn't deserve it. And so he chose to not keep a victim mentality. Imagine Jesus being raised from the dead and just keeps, and the rest of, and the rest of his existence, he just goes, you know, it just wasn't fair. You never hear him saying that afterwards. It just wasn't fair. I don't know if I can go on. I know I'm God in the flesh and everything. I just don't think I can go on. It just wasn't fair. He doesn't say that. So we need to follow suit, you guys. This is a brilliant insight on verses 32, 34. A man named Morrison was talking about how Jesus called this woman out. Listen to this. It seemed cruel, but it was really kind. It sent her home with loftier thoughts of him. She would never talk of the wonder of the tassel. Another, another passage says she touched kind of a tassel that was on the corner of his, of his robe. She would never talk of the wonder of the tassel. She would always talk of the wonder of the Lord. 
permitted to walk away without confession, if Jesus just let her go with no confession, she would have said exultantly, I found a cure. Now the woman cried, I found a friend. Jesus is restoring her life. What if she just says, you know, I don't know what, I, I guess it was the, 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 there was magic in the clothes. She has no confidence in Jesus. Maybe she's thinking, man, I'm kind of starting to feel bad again. I've got to go find that guy's clothes again. She, she, she was told that it was Jesus that did the healing. Your faith has made you well. You can go. You're well. Go. Jesus is assuring her. But who else is he assuring, guys? He's assuring the community that she lives in that she's not sick anymore. You don't have to be afraid of bumping into her at the flea market. When she shows up at church now, it's okay. She's been healed. So it takes great humility to say, I had this problem and this is all it was and some of you knew and some of you didn't, but this was my problem. But he healed me and you don't have to be afraid of me anymore. He's changed me. And that's what calling her out in public did for her. He restored her. He didn't just heal her body. He restored her dignity. He put her back in society. He put her back in the faith community. He did all of that for her. But she had to come and what? Tell him everything. Yeah, it was me. This was my problem. And all. She had to confess all this stuff. Yeah, I, yeah, it was me. I had this big mess. And she's talking to him. We need to be careful who we confess to because somebody will start a blog about you if you're not careful. But you can always tell God, honestly. I know there's people suffering in our community and, 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 you know, please forgive me. I just kind of feel like I have to keep saying this. All they talk about is the problem. And you know what? I I mean, I'll respond once or twice and after that it's like, my friend, you just need to find the hardest brick wall you can find and hit your head against that wall until you give up. Because nothing's going to happen until you give up. So, you know what? I'll be here with a bandages and a cup of cold water for you when, when you're done, but go hit your head on the wall and get it, get it out of your system. Everybody's a victim. And this woman had to come and tell him everything. And then he restores her publicly. She gets it all back. She gets it all back. Her faith and her, her humility. So all that's happening and and Jairus is here standing watching. Maybe he's encouraged seeing the power of Jesus, but verse 35, while he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, boy, these are hard words, aren't they? Your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And at that moment, Jairus is like, you know, my hope is gone. I hate that woman. I resent that Jesus took time to heal her and now I lost my daughter. She's at the end of her life. My daughter's at the beginning of her life. All these things that can go through Jairus' mind. The one thing that's going through his mind, and we know it's a lot of, there's a lot of fear in his mind. He's afraid. How's he going to live without her? What's he going to tell her mom? What's he going to tell her siblings? How, how is he going to go on having faith in God as a religious leader when this so-called Messiah from God has failed him. There's a lot of things going on. It doesn't say that, but I like to speculate, you know? And I'm, it's a holy, it's a sanctified speculation, but the Bible says there's no temptation except that which is common to man. So if I can think it, if I can think, I wonder if he felt like this, and there's a chance that he thought it. Because there's no temptation, there's no struggle, except that's which is common to all of us. So if you think about, you know, 
however you suffer, Jesus kind of had those same emotions. So he's going through this thing, and I'm thinking there's fear, there's resentment, there's, he's, he's, it's the end. I love verse 36. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, don't be afraid, only believe. He gives him two things to do here. He says two things. Number one, don't be afraid. Number two, believe. Look at your notes. I want you to see this with your eyeballs. <laughs> under, the, under Jesus' response, fear is the opposite of faith. They are mutually exclusive. They can never coexist. Fear will trump out faith or faith will trump out fear. They cannot mutually exist. And if you're afraid, you're focusing too much on the, on the, on the very real problems or imagined problems. But you need to have faith in what God wants to do. We must not let fear win in our hearts. Fear prevents faith. Now notice what Jesus said. He said, only believe. He didn't say, Jairus, I want you to figure it out and believe. I want you to have a sense of what I'm doing and believe. I want you to memorize verses. And he didn't say any of that. He just said, I just want you to believe. Nothing else. I don't want you to be afraid and I want you to believe. Very, very simple. And when we say it's very simple, it doesn't mean it's easy. It just means it's simple. It's not complicated. Just believe. But what, 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 what? Okay, that's complicated. But what, 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 what is complicated? There's a bunch of endless what ifs. That's complicated. The one thing is just believe. Just believe what God is has written to you in his book, that, that for sure he wants to do, and then what else you, you believe he wants to do. And you may discover it, it's not his plan, but then it, it's still okay anyway because what you thought was plan A is only plan B, and er, then you're back to plan A. I hope you follow my math. I wasn't very good in algebra. You find, you find God's plan, and you believe it, and that's all. And you don't what if yourself out of the picture. What is Faith. New International, excuse me, the New English Translation. I love this. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and being convinced of what we do not see. You're sure of what you hope for. That's why, guys, you need to read your Bibles. You need to be sure of what God has promised. You need to be sure of what God has promised. You don't make stuff up. You need to be sure of what He's promised, and that's what you hope for. Jesus had a particular way that he brought forth this healing. Look at verse 37. He permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. He came to the house, the ruler of the synagogue, saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. And he came in and said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed him to scorn and he put them out. He took the father and the mother and those who were with him entered where the child was. He said, Little girl, rise up. And she rose. In those days, depending on how much money you had, when somebody died, you'd hire professional mourners. You'd hire musicians to come in and play sad songs, and there would be people that you'd pay to come and cry. They're the mourners. So depending on how much money you had, it would be how big your mourning crowd was. M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. And so he was you know, the, the leader of a, of a synagogue, so he probably had a lot of money. So there's probably a lot of people there. Oh, oh, oh. What time do we get off? Oh, oh, oh. You know, they don't care. They're just paid to cry. They don't care. So Jesus shows up with the mom and the dad and Peter, James, and John, and he says, "Why are you guys crying? She's only asleep." And they're like, "Idiot! We cry for a living." 
you know, we know dead people when we see them. <laughs> what kind of idiot? <laughs> you know, and they just, they're laughing him to scorn. And Jesus says, you know what? You guys get out of here. You guys get out of here. And then he takes mom and dad and Peter, James, and John, and he just says, little girl, get up. She gets up. Now, I think it's really, really interesting that Jesus didn't say, yeah, she's dead, but I'm going to raise her from the dead. He doesn't say that. He says, she's only sleeping. Now, that's, that's kind of, in the language, that could be interpreted as, yeah, she's dead. She's, she's fallen asleep. But it could also mean that she's just asleep. Now, I don't know. I'm sanctified speculation. But may I suggest to you, if he raises a girl from the dead, then she becomes the freak show in town. Can I touch you? Will my hands go through you? Are you a ghost? I mean, she becomes like the carnival entertainment to the people. She's the freak show. But if she was just asleep, he said she was sleeping, I guess she was just asleep. Now she's restored to her life with no fanfare. People aren't, you know, walking by, that's the dead girl, man, making dead jokes. I don't know what they would do, you know? She just becomes a little girl going to school and playing on the playground again. He just restores her life to her the way that it was. Who gets to see it? The mockers? The people that are close to Jesus. I love that. Jesus isn't, interesting in, it, Jesus isn't interested in performing miracles and entertainment for mockers. He's interested in healing and restoring lives for people that believe in him. And we who follow him often get to see that. We're not sure if he's going to restore this person or that person, but when it happens, it's beautiful. And we, get to, we, we know the miracle. We see, not a literal miracle, but maybe a miracle of sorts. We get to see it happen because we were there. We were close. So mom and dad... And the little girl all know the truth, but there's no fanfare. She's not on the tabloids. Peter, James, and John know the truth because Jesus wanted to show them his power. And finally, in verse 43, he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and that something should be given to her to eat. Don't tell anybody. I don't want people tugging at her sleeves and interviewing her for the local newspaper. I want her to just go back to playing with toys and loving mommy and daddy. I just want to give her her life back. These are lessons on faith. Humility, not caring what people think, desperation, patience, working past fear, not thinking that the Lord can only heal one way. He can heal any way that he wants. He can change lives any way that he wants. Not mocking. It's not Jesus plus this or Jesus plus that. It's Jesus plus nothing. He created our souls. He knows how to heal them. He knows how to keep us healthy. And if you've never said yes to Jesus, we want to invite you today. We're going to have communion. Pastor Rob's going to lead us in just a moment. He's going to lead us in communion. Open your heart to Christ. Your greatest need is salvation. Your greatest need is to be forgiven of your sins. You don't have to understand everything about the Christian faith. Just If you're ready, just say, Lord, here I am, I'm ready. Come into my life. That was my prayer. 
I wonder if we have any questions uh, this morning. Why did Jesus ask who had touched him? It's a, that's a really, really good question, and I don't know. I don't know. Um, Jesus in the flesh was God in the flesh, and yet in his humanity, he did not have all the attributes of divinity. So he didn't have omniscience. He didn't have all knowledge as the God-man. He had limited knowledge, which is kind of a strange thing to think about. But he was a man. He did his things not as the God-man per se, but as a man who was sinless and full of the Holy Spirit. He's a model and example of what the Spirit-filled life looks like. So back to the question, why did he ask you touched him? I, I, you know, forgive me, I don't mean to be sarcastic, because he didn't know. He didn't know who touched him. And, or, maybe both, he also wants to bring this woman out. He wants to hear her confession of faith, so he, he wants to hear a public confession so she can, he can restore her publicly to the fullness of life. Probably both those things are true, I'm guessing. I don't know. Anybody else? Any other? Is it wrong to pray over handkerchiefs, aprons, and other objects? Can demons attach to or be sent out with objects? Those are good questions. We're not told to pray over handkerchiefs, aprons, or other objects. We're not told that. However, if you're a Christian and, and, and you're telling me, God told me to pray over this apron and send it to somebody, see, there's no way that I can tell you no, he didn't. Who knows? I don't know if God told you that. You know. So I would just say, well, pray well then. Seal it in a Ziploc bag and send it all. You know, I'm not trying to be facetious. Maybe I am a little bit, but not too much. But I don't want to offend anybody. But we're, just, we're not told to do that. However, if God tells you to do it, I can't tell you not to do it. I can say it's not modeled for us as a regular thing in, in, the, in the Bible. And I think what we can get caught up in is we can start depending on things that are not modeled in Scripture and make that the new norm for ourselves when the norm should be, if you're sick, call the elders of the church. By the way, if you're sick, it says you call the elders of the church. I, I don't know if you're sick unless God tells me or somebody else. You tell the elders of the church and we will pray for you. So, um, and I, I, There's no biblical uh, a proof or anything like that that demons can be attached to objects or anything like that. You know. But do I know everything? Mm-mm, sure don't. But the Bible doesn't tell me to be afraid of something like that and it doesn't model something like that. So if I think if God wants me to, to worry about it, he would tell me. So he didn't tell me, so I'm not going to worry about it. And again, I might be colliding into somebody's theology here. I don't mean to be uh, you know, speaking down to anybody at all, but if the Bible doesn't say to worry about that, then I've got enough to worry about. You know, I have enough to worry about. <laughs> Up here, you know. I have enough to worry about. So I'm not going to worry about things that the Lord doesn't want me to worry about. As children of God, should we still have a healthy distrust of self? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can't remember the verse, but the Greek translation of a New Testament verse is exactly that, have a healthy distrust of self. There's some Greek words that put together in English and it's a lot shorter, but it means have a healthy distrust of self. Yeah. And have a great and wonderful trust for the Spirit of God in you. What's the difference between hearings and miracles? Oh, probably healings and miracles. Both are gifts. Healings can be miraculous, but seem to be in a separate category. Well, healing can be done naturally, or healing can be done miraculously. Miracles could be more than just you know healing. Miracles were the feeding of the five thousand, um, you know, giving somebody sight, that kind of thing. So healings can come a lot of different ways. 
Um, I don't think they are in separate categories if they're divinely uh, done. What's the difference between... Uh, next one, please. Sorry. How does the spiritual gift of healing work to another gifts of healing by the same spirit? Well, I, I, my only clue would be that um, what it says in the book of James, if you're sick, call for the elders of the church and we'll pray for you. There may be some of you here that have a gift of healing and you pray for people and they get well. And so um, that's my understanding of the gift of healing. And somebody prays for somebody and they, and they get well. Beyond that, we're not told anything. I don't think we need to add anything to those things. I think, you know, have a healthy distrust of self. Why? Because I like to be entertained and I like to be, wow. And, and sometimes some church leaders, unfortunately, are very theatrical and play it up and they really take the glory for themselves and away from the Lord, in my opinion. So, just pray for somebody. Oh, I was going to say, where's the next question? There it is. Why do we pray for healings for people in our lives that are dying when we are told there is no hope? I've had several friends die recently, uh, string believers, I'm not strong believers, I'm guessing. Oh, the questions are here on the iPad. These guys in the booth are really laughing at me. Here. Um, one generation won't die. Jesus is going to come back with the rapture of the church. I believe in the rapture of the church. And he's going to take one generation away with him. And we won't experience death. And I can't work that out right now because of our time. All the rest of us are going to die. When I pray for people who are dying, I pray. But I also know that God's going to do what's right. I just leave it alone. Just leave it alone. If it's their time to finish their race, I don't want to make them run another lap. They finish their race. So I'm okay. To, I mean, my mom just died on January the 8th. I'm okay. We prayed. Of course we prayed. But she finished her race. It's time to let her go. God didn't fail me. He took her home. He took her to glory. She's in the bleachers rooting me on right now. So... Uh, question on the notes, verse 43, it says the matter was to be kept quiet. Why would Jesus keep the matter quiet? Uh, oh, this is a comment, I guess. Not only because she would be a freak show, but the others, the crowd of people, would have asked for the same treatment, their loved ones being brought to life with faith or no faith, selfishly. Very good point. Probably save the girl and himself from the harassment. It's a good insight. I couldn't disagree with that. Let me pray. Rob's going to lead us in communion. Thank you, Lord. Uh, Teach us to to trust you. You plus nothing, Lord. And help us to know that you're for us and not against us, God. Thank you. Amen.